Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning subscriber, welcome. I hope you're having an amazing day. So you see what happens when you subscribe to the Ethics Experts. You get a bonus greeting on every episode. So hit that subscribe button. I am here with Lisa Beth. Lisa, how's it going? It's going great. It's a good day to have a good day. Good day to have a good day. I love that. Yeah. Uh, we met, what, a couple of months ago, I guess. And we've kind of become fast friends and yeah. learned a lot from you. We've done a couple of Clubhouse uh, episodes together or cl Clubhouse rooms together. And um, you run a really cool, you run a couple of cool organizations. But yeah, just so excited to get you on here and kind of pick your brain about what you're seeing out there in the world. Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm leading what I like to call my portfolio career. Um, and this has been an interesting time, right? There are so many different opportunities that I probably would not have started with if I hadn't had this extra time where I wasn't traveling. So right. I think this world just has so many different things to be grateful for. And, um, I'm really excited about what's happening in our community and paying it forward and all of the different things that we are getting to do together. I really love the work that you and I are doing together, Nick, because I think every time that we do something that makes the world a better place, like it just gives me joy. Me too. I love it. Um, I love your energy and, you know, kind of what you bring to the community. So maybe we can just start, start there. You know, you kind of were talking about we've, you know, we're not traveling as much and it's opened up all these opportunities. What are some of those things that you've kind of found the silver lining in this, you know, what a lot of people have looked at as kind of a cloudy, cloudy year? You know, I think that part of what makes this year so interesting and frankly, you know, most of last year too, let's be honest, yeah. is we can't choose the circumstances that we're, we're dealt. We, we don't get to choose our cards and whatever game it is that we're playing, but we do get to choose our attitude and how we wish to structure our lives around, you know, the, the, what we have sitting before us. And um, I think it's important right now, more than ever before, not to focus on what we don't have, but to focus on what we do and what we can do with what we have. So I, I love travel, right? I used to work in the travel industry um, and the lack of being able to travel is something that, that I think profoundly impacts a lot of people, myself included. However, it's just changed the ways that we can connect. Mm -hmm. So it's forced people, me included, to go outside of our comfort zone and, and embrace the new. Like yeah. what can we do and how, how can we make this circumstance that we find ourselves in just amazing. So, so that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you bring up, so, I mean, there's so much in what you just said, like so much mindset stuff in it, so much kind of taking advantage of the opportunities that we're presented with. Um, you know, you just said, I think kind of to, to start off what you just said, you said, you know, you can't control the hands that you're dealt. I, I agree. And I also am kind of of the thought that you can win any pot with any hand that you have, right? You could just have to play yeah. that 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 hand right. And so how have you used this as an opportunity to like connect more? So to peel back just a little bit, uh, before all of the 2020 era started, um, I began my own compliance ethics and corporate governance practice. But in addition to just practicing the technical aspects, I have felt for a very, very, very long time 
that in our profession, we really need to be talking about well-being of people. And so when I began this journey, I went and I became a national board certified health and wellness coach because I said, I've seen too many people suffering because they're not taking care of themselves and they're not creating structures whereby their teams and the people that they're working with can be at their best, where they're caring for themselves as human beings and others in this ecosystem we live in, in a way that allows everyone to be optimized, be at their best self. And so this era right now has allowed me to be able to say, look, we need to talk about well-being. We need to talk about how we're moving forward in this profession. And finally, for many people, the light bulb has turned on. So when I first began this, everyone, almost everyone said, well, why are you combining these two things? Why are you complaining compliance and ethics and talking about well-being? Like, who cares about people's well-being? Like, we are widgets in a big, a big thing, a big, you know, structure. Yeah, yeah. That's not true, right? You're only as strong as your weakest link. And when you talk about compliance and ethics, you are talking about the guardians. And if you have a guardian that's hurting, well, they're not going to be able to be their best and you're they're going to have challenges. So, we finally gotten to a point where things that I'm passionate about are things that we have to talk about, can't be ignored anymore. And it's kind of accelerated yeah. some of the discussion around burnout, around well-being, around all of these things. And so this time has presented opportunities to connect with people differently and also to give back differently. Um, that's, that's some of what we're doing with um, the groups that I'm part of, whether it's my compliance, ethics, and corporate governance practice, which is Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, or MentorCore, where we are talking about the people skills and the self-care needed in our profession, or the compliance career connections, where we're helping people find pathways into the profession, but also talking about how to do it sustainably. So I love that all of these passions that I have can now be brought together because we're having more robust discussions and we're connecting differently. Yeah, and we've all also kind of collectively been through a shared experience in this whole pandemic that we've all been navigating through that to your point has sort of brought some of this stuff to the forefront, right? It's brought this well-being, the need for the well-being and the stress and this sort of like we were talking about before, this blending of our work and our home lives together. There's a lot for us to juggle more so than perhaps, you know, other generations have had to, to deal with. So it's almost Absolutely. as if you read the tea leaves and saw it coming and you incorporated <laughs> these two things together. <laughs> it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. Well, I, I didn't quite read those tea leaves, <laughs> uh, 100%, but it is something that I saw as a growing need within the profession. Now, who knew that it was going to be a growing need for literally everyone to right. be much more attendant to mental health, well-being overall, whether that's you know physical, emotional, et cetera. Right. But I do think that there still is an even more you know, present need for people in these guardian professions, whether you're in security or you're in um, risk or compliance, those are the folks that are asked to, to be there to be a sounding board and make good decisions and say, hey, what if, what if there was a risk associated with that? We, we need to be at the top of our game every day. And so 
that means thinking about people as human beings rather than just human doings. We're not just there to perform a function. We are there to make the world a better place. Right. So I love that analogy of a, a guardian. How have you seen other people view the profession as opposed to a guardian? Because I think when you humanize it that way, or you kind of, um, you know, when you speak about it that way, it's easy to look at, or it's easy to kind of imagine a guardian who's just like guarding the wall, falling asleep. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I think it, it paints a picture. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Right. It, like if they're not taking care of themselves or whatever, um, it's a really powerful picture, I think. Yeah, so when I think about guardians, um, I think about someone who helps facilitate better decision-making because you know that they're there. They're there to help and they're there to tell you, hey, you are moving in the wrong direction, right? They're not the one who makes the ultimate choice. We all have free will, but they are someone who is that kind of voice that little you know voice on your shoulder that says you might want to think about this and a guardian helps illuminate the full picture and that's where i see compliance and ethics and i think it's it's a powerful analogy because you know whether you're talking about a lifeguard at a pool who says here are the rules and i expect you to follow them i'm going to call you out when you're not following them but if something really goes sideways i'm here to help save you or you view them as a coach in you know a sports game those are the people who are providing sound advice you still make your own decisions mm -hmm. but they're there to help train educate raise the conversation and set a playing field where everyone can be successful. Yeah, I think you and I, we really kind of, you know, your why kind of resonates with mine. I think we both want to make the world a better workplace. We both want to, we both see this sort of compliance 3.0 thing of these are, I love how you put that. They're not human doings, they're human beings. And this humanization of ethics and compliance is really what the story of this next decade is going to be. Let's back up. Like, when yeah. you were a little girl, six years old, thinking, I want to be an ethics and compliance and wellness coach, just kidding, of course, like, how did you wind <laughs> up here? How did you wind up here? Walk us through kind of that, that montage of your life that, you know, and what are some of those big notes that kind of, you know, cause you to kind of direct your car toward this path versus, you know, an, another path? I'm sure you were presented with a lot of different opportunities and it, you, you probably could have gone a bunch of different ways in your life, you know? Well, you know, if we go back to when I was six, this might take a couple of hours, but, um, <laughs> but, but basically I started out um, thinking that people are in general good and I want to be surrounded by good people. And I thought about, you know, inter I'd always thought that I would do something in international business. I didn't know exactly what that meant when I was six years old, but I was going to, I knew that it meant going on planes and um, being fancy. <laughs> okay. A lot of hotels, a lot of dinners out. Yeah. Right. I was six, right? Um, uh, but I did know that, um, you know, my heart has always been rooted in a kind of a Midwestern, do the right thing to your neighbor. Um, and that's, you know, how I was raised, you know, my parents, uh, we've always actually, I didn't realize this until later, we always had entrepreneurs in my family, I just never called them entrepreneurs. Um, because I didn't see that what they were doing was entrepreneurial until I looked back on it. Interesting. Tell me some more about that. 
Um, so, you know, as I was growing up, you know, my grandfather on my father's side had been, you know, owned a dairy farm. He was the milkman. Um, and um, he had done lots of different things throughout his career. On my mom's side, they were farmers as well in the dairy space. Um, and eventually they ended up doing import export of dairy technology, right? Because um, the United States didn't have a really strong um, uh, pricing system for milk. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so long story made short, um, there was a lot of um, entrepreneurial activity within my family. I just never recognized it as such. Yeah. I decided to go into the legal side of the house. Um, but I also decided that at a critical point in my career, I wanted to do more than just be a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so I started out my professional work life post law school at the Securities and Exchange Commission in the middle of September 11th, Enron, WorldCom, all oh of gosh. those crises. And what I saw again and again was you can have rules, but that is not the whole story. In fact, that's not even half the story. What we need to cultivate beyond just the bare minimum is what good looks like. And so from there, I continued to make choices about pursuing things that I felt um, it made me, you know, have joy inside, whether it was ethical conduct, following through on environmental, social and governance promises, making sure that from a philanthropic standpoint, there was constantly a mindset of giving back and paying it forward. And I went to places where I could live out those ideals and that ethos. And, you know, for places that you know, didn't seem to, to fit for me, I made choices about that. So as I grew up, I went from wanting to be an international businesswoman and not really understanding what that was and, and being a lawyer and saying, I think there's something more than this for me to where I am right now, which is, you know, working on compliance, ethics, corporate governance, and what this means holistically from an environmental social governance standpoint for the future of not just companies, but all of the people that interact with companies. So I see my why as like making the world a better place in all of these different areas, because all of these small steps that we take together have huge impacts. Yeah. And, um, it's how, how great is it or how, how great does it feel where some of these sort of seeds or some of these things that really kind of resonated with you back during those WorldCom days, you know, what does good look like on a sort of a, a, a holistic level? How good does it feel to start hearing, you know, this ESG stuff in the sort of broader conversation? Like it's kind of here now, like this wave is swelling. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's here kind of. <laughs> Okay, tell me. We have a long way to go. Um, so uh, I'll tell you, when I was first at Best Buy, because I worked at Best Buy um, starting in 2006, and um, at the time, uh, Best Buy was putting out its sustainability corporate responsibility report. And I was the person who was saying, hey guys, hey guys, I know I'm the securities lawyer here, but we have to put this together like it's an audited report that's repeatable. So mm. there's no greenwashing, the whole nine yards. Um, there were, and, and at the time, people kind of looked at me like, you know, that's a lot of work. For and those of us hosting this podcast, can you describe what uh, greenwashing is? 
Greenwashing is where you make a claim that's supposedly an environmental claim, but there's nothing that supports it. It's basically, it. you know, making false claims about environmental, like, yeah, batteries. we're green, but there's we're nothing green. behind it. It's just a platitude. It's just, it's fake. It's a paper facade it's, of whatever. It's, it's, it's the environmental equivalent of a check the box compliance Got program. Got it. Right. Yeah. There are a paper program. That's what greenwashing is. It's Got the it. paper program of environmental work. But that's a lot of foresight to have, to be raising that then. Well, I was probably about 15 years early. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, because it's only now that we're starting to get to a point where I think there is going to be consolidated reporting um, with some of the things that are going on at the SEC and the new Biden administration. I think we're finally getting to a point where there's consensus that there needs there need to be standards across everything that allow you to compare the environmental, social, and governance promises from one company to another. Um, you know, in accounting, there's a standards board, but there hasn't been consensus on a standards board for reporting on yeah. environmental, social, and governance. So, yes, it was early. I think there was. Um, I think that it actually served the company quite well because when you start out with the thought that everything that you do could be audited and you need to be able to stand behind everything you say. Improve it, right. That's part of your values and ethos. Um, why do you think, you know, the, you know, Financial Accounting Standards Board, uh, that exists and that's easily sort of transferable across industries and sort of the I'm trying to draw, draw a corollary. The promises folks make, they're all denominated in the same sort of currency, uh, essentially. Um, what, like, what could be a corollary on this side with respect to the ESG promises from one company to another? Because it is a nice, like, I like the idea of it, but, I, but as, as you were kind of talking, I'm just thinking like, well, how do we bring that down to something that's like tangible to work? Like, what, what, do you, what impediments do you think there are? And like, what do you think that framework would potentially look like? Like, you know, ESG credits, I'm kidding a little bit, but like, what would that look like? You know what I'm saying? Um, so there, there are some great work being done by groups like um, SASB, that's um, uh, a standards board around sustainability. Um, but there hasn't been this ultimate, like, yes, this is how we're going to measure it. Um, unlike accounting, which has been around for a really long time and Forever. dollars yeah. are dollars, right? You, It's very easy to measure dollars and to, to say what's going where. Right. Um, there's a tangibility to it, to your point. Correct. Um, and in some areas, there's more tangibility than in others, but these, their industries and the impacts are so different that it's not comparing dollars to dollars or, right. or anything like that. So I think there have been a lot of struggles around this um, and trying to get it right so that there is real comparability um, and, and a way to, to, to align around what those numbers look like. So have you heard, I'm sure you've heard about these, this B Corp. What is your thoughts of that? What are your thoughts about you know, B Corps and this new thing that's kind of coming out? Oh, I love B Corps. I love working with B Corps. Um, I think a, a B Corp is a structure, right? I don't think that in order to be um, 
a sustainable business, you have to be a B Corp, right? A B Corp, the way that B Corps are set up, they are set up so that there is a benefit to them. And there is, it's part of their governance structures. And it's not available in every state. Um, It's only available in certain states where there's a provision that allows for a B Corp, but there are other ways around it so that you can be B Corp certified. Right. But ultimately, you know, part of it is what is the purpose of the corporation? Is the purpose of the corporation to provide some type of benefit or is the purpose of the corporation much more aligned to your C-Corps? So it, it's different Which are governance. cash corps. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, wh- how are you raising money? What is that going to look like? Wh- what type of shareholders are you going to try to attract? All of that goes into the equation. I think that there are plenty of companies out there who have not opted to be B-Corps that are doing amazing work. That are essential, yeah, got it. Right? So I think um, I like working with B Corps. I like the B Corp standards, but B Corp, if you wanna be a certified B Corp, there's a cost associated with that. Um, And you can do things without incurring the cost that also are very good. So some of it depends on like, how do you wanna market yourself and, and what are you looking to do? And also, are you going to join a certain group because that's beneficial for your business or it helps align with your values? So that's a good point about, you know, there, there's kind of a cost to get this moniker or get this certification or whatever, but there's steps you can take um, to, you know, make sure that your, your deeds follow your words, so to speak, and you don't have this sort of greenwashing corollary in the context of whatever, you know, social uh, or you know ESG kind of directed impact that your company can have. How do we prevent or like, do, are there any concerns about this swinging too far this way? Or how do we fight against the debate that a lot of the old school sort of like, you know, what, what should I call them? Uh, you know, econ folks who think that this is all just a joke and it's a bunch of, um, it's all marketing and it's BS and there's no value in it. Cause there's a big debate about this ESG thing in the uh, econosphere, I guess. There absolutely is. And look, you're gonna find people all over the map with everything, right? You know, just like you would for any topic, right? Whether you should have a flat tax or whether you should pay an incremental tax, you will find people smart, eloquent, amazing people on all sides of the equation. Good point. If you're asking my opinion, I think environmental social governance is here to stay. And I think it's here to stay for a number of reasons. I think there are some generational expectations, particularly with people in the millennial and Gen Z world, where they're saying it's not enough to be a company. We want to work and we're more closely aligned with companies who work for good. Um, there, um, you know, the, the business roundtable um, has come out with um, a, a new statement from CEOs, right? It used to be that the purpose of a corporation was to make money for its shareholders. That's the very like 1980s Milton Friedman yeah. um, perspective. Now, There are many, many CEOs who have signed on to say, no, the purpose of a corporation is beyond just meeting shareholder wealth needs. The purpose of a corporation 
goes to how you interact with your stakeholders, whether that's your consumers, whether that's the communities you operate in, the people that you interact with, governments, etc. So I think right now we're continuing to have the debate about what the purpose of a corporation is and how best to execute on that purpose. Um, some companies will just say, nope, we're here, we're making money for our shareholders. I think more and more companies will say, no, we're bigger and broader than, than that. That's why we have foundations that do, you know, philanthropic work. That's why, you know, our, our shareholders and stakeholders care about what impact we're having on the environment in the community, with our employees, in the places that we work. And we have to do that responsibly. So I do think that there is a movement towards acknowledging the reality that companies do more than just make money. They have impact. They have impact sometimes politically, whether it's through political spending. They have impact on what's happening to us as a society. And they have responsibilities that go beyond just, can you sell this or that? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like that Milton Friedman approach is kind of like the trickle-down economics, but on a social basis. It's like, okay, well, if I can just generate a bunch of like shareholder wealth, well, then everyone is just going to go ahead and, you know, pour that into, you know, a better environment or better, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so I think adding this dimensionality beyond just sort of the almighty, uh, you know, the almighty dollar, um, I think it is healthy. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how companies try to game it. I mean, look, I'm a little bit jaded because a, a lot of folks signed that thing a year ago. I mean, I mean, think of how many millions of employees are underneath the umbrella. Right. I mean, how many people signed it? 180 or something like that? Definitely over 100. Yes, so, yep. so, I mean, there's millions of workers that are underneath the umbrella of the folks that those people are responsible for. And, you know, I just wonder what the average, you know, pool of those employees would say, like, yeah, my, you know, is your life totally different as a result of this? Like, are you seeing a difference or not? I don't know. Um, and, I think some kind of a mechanism to ensure or provide some kind of a feedback loop so that folks don't game it is probably healthy. You know what I mean? I, I think that we'll be trending towards that that way um, because it's really easy to say things, right? right. And, and this is something I learned. I probably learned this by the time I was six, right? It's very easy for people to say things, but their actions are what really reveal the content of character. And that goes for human beings. And it also goes for companies. You know, are you going to, it's the same with ethics. Like you can say lots of ethical things, but it's what you do that matters. Right. And it's particularly true what you do when someone else is not watching. And so I think that this is where there's going to be this beautiful connection between what is a company saying and what are they doing? It's the ethics of how companies operate. And it goes to culture, it goes to ethics, it goes to how you interact with the rest of the world. And so I think there's this beautiful opportunity and there's a requirement, frankly, I believe, for people who are working in compliance and ethics to get smarter about environmental social governance matters now because it is absolutely part of what we do and who we are. I agree 100%. And I would even take it a step uh, further to say, make sure that we're always connecting it down holistically to the human being. Because at the end of the day, it should, any company is just a, co a collection of human beings showing up 
somewhere to do something. Well, I mean, many times it's just showing up on Zoom meetings at this point, but (laughs) you get my point. Um, What a forward, so two things I would bring up, like just to kind of bring it back to you and, you know, you know, people say a lot of things and people do a lot of things that sometimes are in conflict with those. Um, I think your leadership in this space has been really encouraging to me and it's obviously a beacon of like light in, in the community because your deeds do follow your actions and you put your heart on display with the time that you dedicate to helping people without anything in return. So I'd love to dive into a little bit of like these, these groups that you're a part of and that, that you've started. Um, I want to hear kind of about Lumen and kind of how that was sort of launched. But before we get to that, talk to us about MentorCore and like what the drive behind that was and, you know, for anybody who's not, or any, for anybody who's listening, who's not familiar um, with this organization, it's really an awesome uh, group of people that are really inspiring to me. And I'm just, you know, kind of honored to like uh, stand in the light of it a little bit. You know what I mean? So MentorCore is what I like to call my pandemic business baby. Uh, <laughs> this was, um, I mean, the genesis of it was really um, my, my buddy, Dan Ayala, who's the co-founder of MentorCore, and I have known each other since we were 12. So we were, we were tweens when we first met, and we've been friends for, you know, ever and a day. And he and I have had this kind of strange Um, development where we both were at similar points in our career at similar times. So he's always been my sounding board and I've been his. And one of the things that we were looking at, um, because we saw so much isolation in, in, in our professions, and we always had each other and we said, well, how can we change this so that people can connect better and more robustly in the ways that they need to. Um, And Dan's Latino and I'm a woman. And we said, you know, one of the things that we noticed was that particularly for people in disadvantaged groups, um, sometimes those networking and connecting opportunities just weren't as available. There weren't as many people who looked like me that I could turn to when I was growing up in the profession. So we said, how can we shift this? and create an environment where people can connect, find mentors, talk about all of the things that make us human beings, all of the people skills we need from now and into the future. And how can we bring this out into the universe and allow people to have these amazing opportunities to expand their networks where they don't have to have a ton of personal wealth and they don't have to have corporate support to attend a conference. And That's so, a big one. That second one especially is a big one. Yeah. Well, I mean, both the first and the second ones are big ones because one of the things that helped inspire this was we, we heard a report out of LinkedIn that said there are three things that are highly correlative and determinative of your future job success. The first is where you were born geographically and socioeconomically, which you have mm-hmm. zero control over. Yep. Luck of the draw. Second one is where you went to school, which oftentimes is correlated to, you know, how much wealth you have to be able to attend school. Um, And the third one is whether you've worked for a big business that is highly networked, like with lots of people. So if you have those three things, you have a 12x improvement over someone who doesn't. That's crazy. I know. That's a crazy stat. Yeah. 
Well, and Dan and I said, how can we help overcome this? We have no control over those factors, but we do have control over the networks we have mm -hmm. and creating a platform where people can connect outside of their natural networks. So that's what we did. It's really amazing. I mean, um, so tell us some, some of the things that you're most proud of, because this baby is growing quickly. Yeah, so um, the things that I'm most proud of are um, the fact that we are putting on free events every week that anyone can listen to. Um, you know, MentorCore is a member-based group, but we are putting out a lot of content just to connect the community. Um, and you've been one of our wonderful guests, which I'm so thankful for. We have had the most amazing guests who have given so freely of their time and their thoughts. And I feel like that's something that we've done in service of the community, the broader community in general. It's one of the things that I'm most proud of. It's, it's, it's the part of my week that I always look forward to just because I think that we can learn so much from each other. And, and this is a place and a space where you can do that. And you, you can do that just by listening in. So tell me about, um, you know, I always talk about how unique this, this community is. And I think MentorCore is an absolute like expression or a concentrated expression of this broader ethics and compliance community. And you've worked in a bunch of different industries. Um, and I'm sure in the S, you know, as you worked in the SEC, you got to see a bunch of different companies in a ton of different industries. Talk to me about, or talk to us about like the, like, what are the special facets of this broad community that we're a part of? And why do you think MentorCore is so successful in sort of resonating with so many people? So I think as a community, compliance and ethics generally wants to give. People who, who are in this space, for the most part, are focused on trying to do what's right. So you've got an overwhelming percentage of people that are really focused on doing the right thing and that typically resonates both in their business professional life as well as their personal life so i think in general as a community we have a lot of really dedicated people who care right empathy is one of the most important things in this profession and it hasn't been emphasized enough that it is a critical skill but it absolutely is. And most people who are in this profession have a good measure of empathy and connectedness. That's one of the things that kind of excites me the most about the opportunity that ethics and compliance have, uh, especially as now, you know, this, you know, this border between the employee experience and culture and the external uh, branding of an organization seems to be compressing. Um, the realization, the added dimensionality of ENC in this next decade where we recognize that, well, we kind of are the arbiters of the culture, as you say, kind of the guardians of the culture to provide those guidelines for folks to really, you know, unleash the magic of the workforce. The most beautiful part about why this opportunity, I think, is so seizable and able to be grabbed a hold of, like, this is not a pie in the sky thing that we're talking about, no. because the fuel is empathy and we all already have it. Everybody already has it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not talking to, no offense to engineers or like uh, traders, option traders. Those guys aren't necessarily known for just like, just reeking of empathy. Whereas to your point, a lot of the folks that I deal with every day and the folks that I've met in this, this community, they're already wired that way. So it's almost like we just have to kind of 
you know, open the window and let them start singing in their organization and give them some of that confidence and boldness to put those gifts that they already have to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So one of the things that I love about empathy is, you know, we're all born with a, a certain amount of it, but it can and should be cultivated. Yeah. So even if you feel like you're really good on this front, you can always continue to hone those skills and be better. So um, unlike, you know, um, IQ, which is generally considered to be fixed, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the emotional quotient and empathy in particular is one of those things that can be grown over time. And I have seen a huge shift. So when compliance and ethics first started, it wasn't really a lot about empathy. It totally. wasn't really much about anything other than here are the rules, you better follow them. Um, and we are now morphing into this second stage. And I think third stage of um, compliance maturity, compliance and ethics maturity um, that goes beyond just you can, you cannot to how do we collaborate? And now I think we're moving towards the, how do we really integrate and allow others to connect and be a facilitator as a guardian for what the future is for companies and for people who are in the world? So, um, how, so two things, well, we'll start with the first one. Um, how do you feel, or how do you see like the most efficient way to maybe reclaim the empathy that's been calloused over by the world that jades us? Um, what exercises do you see, um, or what encouragement can you give folks to really let that, you know, that diamond that might be buried down a little bit, you know, in there out? So one of the biggest challenges is, right, we're all, you know, not quite licking our wounds, but we're calloused over by some of the things um, that have been going on as a society um, within, um, you know, the work world. And, you know, part of developing deep empathy is that care for others. So I really like making sure that you're taking time to listen and understand um, and then put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's really hard to do, but regularly, you know, giving thanks for the things you have and then thinking about the things that you're grateful for is a great way to start cultivating empathy and continuing mm. to grow it because all too often we can get into this negative feedback totally. loop where we're like, oh, this is terrible. I can't do X, Y, and Z. I'm agitated about that. I'm angry. But if you flip the switch and say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on negative. I am going to choose optimism and choose like abounded optimism. Like you can't just be everything sunshine and and roses and I've never smelled any, you know, stench that I didn't like, but (laughs) bounded optimism to say nothing's perfect. But here's what's good. And here are the three things that I think are really amazing. And I'm going to thank somebody for that, for something that they've done for me. Um, And that, you know, you just decide that you're going to spread joy instead of exporting agitation. Because it's one or the other that you're doing, by the way. All the time. Yep. You can choose to start your conversations by saying, you know what? Today's a great day to have a great day. Or you can say, you know what? my internet failed, like here, here's my list of grievances. This isn't Festivus. Like we don't have to have grievances every day. We can choose to say, hey, you know what? Maybe the day hasn't gone as I planned, but guess what? 
it's a new minute, it's a new hour, I get to choose how exactly. I'm gonna navigate this. I love that sort of gratitude as a catalyst for empathy and being specific in what we thank people for to recognize what their contributions have been or, you know, cause everyone at some level is trying to make the world better, right? Everybody wants to leave the world, you know, maybe not everyone, but most people. Maybe I need to bound my the, optimism the a little majority, bit. The majority, the yeah, majority. Okay, let's bound that optimism a little bit. Um, and so great advice. How do we accelerate um, and unleash ethics and compliance in our organizations to be that shining light that you and I see it being at some point in the future? How do we pull that future forward? I, I do think we need to continue to flip the switch on compliance and ethics being the zone of no, right? Yeah. The zone of possibility and responsibility, right? Accountability is a beautiful thing, right? Um, so I think we need to change some of the words that we use and some of the ways that we approach challenges that we have. Um, challenges are opportunities for growth and development. They're not bad. Failure is not necessarily bad. We need to change the dialogue around that and also kind of get away from this bad good, right? We know, yeah. we, we, you know, there is nothing that is, you know, really black and white for the most part. There are lots of shades of gray. And there are, you know, part of what I think we need to do from a compliance and ethics standpoint is get better at coaching behaviors that are desirable, right? So, the difference okay. between being told what to do and allowing people to figure out the right answer for themselves is profound. That's an enabling function as opposed to a kind of a top-down, you must do this. People buy into enablement in making better decisions. So I think we're going to have to work on a number of different skills in compliance and ethics, including how to get the power of the people to be able to self-help yeah, and build for better futures because it's what they want to do, not what they have to do. Yeah, or what they're just, you know, told what to That's do right. by their taskmaster. How much, um, how much of a, uh, how much of your new language, or maybe it's the wrong word, but like how much better are you able to articulate some of these kind of complex concepts after having augmented your experience with this wellness thing? You know, one of the things that I absolutely love about um, what I learned um, by getting certified as a health and well-being coach is part of what coaches in the health and well-being space are trying to do are trying to get people to make better decisions, oftentimes with their health, oftentimes because, you know, someone may have diabetes or someone may, you know, um, want to lose weight, whatever it is, something, it's something that they need to do for themselves in order to support their longevity. But oftentimes, you know, people come up with this, it's called the GI Joe fallacy where knowing is half the battle, right? Knowing is not half the battle. It's not even a small portion of it, right? Just because you know the right thing to do doesn't mean that you do it, right? It's the same reason why so many diets are unsuccessful and, and, and um, behavior changes are unsuccessful. So one of the things that I learned um, with health and well-being coaching is how to create scenarios where people find their own why for what they're doing. Mm. Because in order for people to be successful, particularly in these very personal spaces like their yeah. health and well-being, 
the motivation needs to come from within. And that's where I think as compliance and ethics professionals, we have this next phase of the journey of helping people to find that voice from within. It's the same thing that you're trying to do when you're looking at any behavior change. How do you do things like motivational interviewing to get people to see that the choices they make have impacts that may not be aligned to what they're saying or what they know yeah, from, right. Uh, right, that they should be doing? We, we have to take some of those techniques and learn from them because they're effective. Finding ways to find that internal motivation is what makes for change. I love it. I mean, my gosh, it's so, uh, it's very profound and yet it's very simple because we're dealing with humans and we all know humans and we all are humans, right? So just making that sort of, again, that holistic connection between, hey, well, what motivates me to stick to this diet? It's some tied to your point to this, to this why. Let's bring that into the, the workplace where, yes, I have these rules, but there's a purpose behind these rules and there's a spirit behind the letters on this page. And how can I connect those to the salesperson who's overseas or whatever, right? Or the person in the uh, manufacturing facility to get them to not, you know, with a, uh, a bridle and a bit in their mouth to go where they need to go, but for them to naturally go where they, where they should go for the broader purpose of the organization or their own, you know, life goals or whatever. Exactly. It's, I think we can learn a lot from a lot of different professions and that's where the work is to be done. There are so many skills and talents that we can incorporate into our practice. That's what I find to be most exciting. I think that opens up a whole world of knowledge and skills from people who maybe haven't been you know, compliance and ethics practitioners. We have opportunity to learn so much from so many different spaces and find connections to be better. Um, tell us quickly about, um, I know we're getting short on time here, but tell us a little bit about what made you make that plunge to start Lumen and what the sort of purpose of Lumen is and for listeners who aren't familiar with it, how it could sort of fit into their lives or what they could learn from you there. Sure. One of the things that I saw was that oftentimes companies needed just a little bit of extra help from a builder. I am a builder deep in my core. Um, I get joy out of making things work, out of building foundations that are built to last. But as is typical with many builders, when it gets to the point of just, you know, day-to-day operations, sometimes that's not as interesting for me. And so I decided to take what I loved and what I was really good at because the builder skills are, are unique. Yep. And oftentimes after you're done building, you may not need those skills, which are, um, you know, highly prized at certain points in the journey. So I decided to help more companies rather than just being with one company. So I build foundations. I help uh, companies when, you know, they've um, perhaps lost a compliance officer and need somebody on an interim basis or when they have a project and they just need some outside views or some implementation help. So Lumen was founded with the whole purpose of being a place where we illuminate risks and where we put values into action. So that's what we do. And that's what we love to do. And those values into action also include looking at the compliance and ethics profession as a holistic profession. 
So our values include making sure that there is a place and a space to include well-being for all of those professionals. So that's what we do and we love what we do. Um, we really enjoy working with all sorts of companies all over the US and abroad. Um, I love that. I love that uh, the way that you've incorporated that wellness to it and found a found an outlet, you know, I mean, kind of to your point, I was picturing, you know, the person who puts the train together and gets it running down the tracks, to your point, requires a different skill set than the person who continues to shovel that coal in the engine to keep it going. I mean, this is an old, Absolutely. Uh, an old steam train uh, analogy here. Um, let's pull those tea leaves out one more time real quick. Let's fast forward 10 years. What has changed? How is ethics and compliance different? Well, I think there's going to be a lot happening even in the next four years. I do think that ethics and compliance, I, I, over the long term, I don't know exactly all of the skills that we will need to have. We will certainly need to be very good at privacy, and we will need to know a lot more about information security mm -hmm. and risk in general. I think that we are going to form a critical backbone to talking about risk over the long term and to talking about culture. So I think all of those things are going to come together over the next 10 years. I think environmental social governance will continue to be something that we all need to focus on, not just as professionals, but as consumers and as citizens of the world. So I think the next 10 years are going to be extraordinarily exciting. I'm excited for them. And I think that we have the opportunity to be role models and ambassadors for what inclusion looks like, belonging, what it looks like to really think critically about risk and to help move culture over that time frame. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Um, I love that picture you painted. I happen to agree wholeheartedly with it and just appreciate your time, how generous you were with your, you know, your views and really for your leadership in our community. You're somebody who really lives out these things and, you know, you do that already. You set that example uh, for, the, for the rest of us. So thank you for all you do and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. Have a great day.